Hello, this is Deceptively Clever, the podcast. I'm Justin, we're about to call John, and we're kicking off today's episode with the follow-up of a postal service drama. Um, For those of you who have not listened to the last episode, John was interrupted during the outro by a knock at the door, which was his local postman telling him that there had been mail tampering within the organisation, about which he apologised and left a a package, a letter, an envelope that had been subject to tampering. I mean, let's be clear about it. Um, So let's find out what happened next. Oh, and then after that we discuss Soviet-era spying. Uh, Enjoy. Yeah, so I, uh, my mum came back as I was just on my break then, and I informed her about the uh, compromised mail. Okay, so for the people at home, we have had a postman turn up and apologise because a letter's been tampered with, which was addressed to your mother. So we've taken the letter down to your mother so that she can open it and we can get the apology note. Is that correct? Yeah, it's very underwhelming. It just says we're sorry. (laughs) If anything's missing, which obviously you could prove quite easily because someone could say... I sent them this, then I think you can claim stuff. But uh, I, I definitely still have like secondhand anxiety when I see stuff like that after like working in retail, because I know that like to sort of provide people with a problem is to provide them with like ammunition to basically just go off on you, and it scares me. <laughs> yes, I would call it damage rather than tampering, personally. And I'm pretty sure I heard your uh, mother's friend tell me that that they put four hundred thousand pounds in that card. So yeah, I know. Uh, I think there is <laughs> there is the grounds it. to claim half a million. Because uh, yeah, right. Okay, you don't think four hundred thousand was enough? <laughs> yeah, I think you're shortchanging that person. Yeah, you'd want to find the number that was like obviously that would just make them go to court slash yeah. their insurance company. You want to pick a number where it's like, uh, make it go away. But also, because <laughs> if you said it and they're like, okay, sure, here's 600 pounds, you go, bugger, I didn't ask for enough. Yeah, you go, ah, crap. Yeah. But obviously we're not endorsing it. Don't do that. <laughs> Be nice. <laughs> I, I have found in life that stealing money and things is not difficult. It's just not worth it. There's no amount of money I could steal which would tangibly improve my life, such as to make up for the utter devastation I would feel at my core for having intentionally done that. Yeah. Everything like would be places, from then on. Yeah. I've worked in places where people would... Like the trick in a bar is to buy a bottle of, say, the house vodka from the cheapest store you can. Then when you are putting through sales for the vodka, you keep all of the money for the sale. And when the bottle's gone, you put your bottle that you purchased back on the shelf in the storeroom. So no one notices the stock missing, therefore no one notices all the sales missed. So you get to make the margin that the bar would have made on the bottle of vodka. And I'm like, that's genius. But if I could, if I had figured out to, how to do that, I would also be able to figure out how to make money in business. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like it, why it's, don't you use these t- skills to... <laughs> yeah, it's too clever for the sake of £250. Oh, just, that's stressing just, me out. Going, yeah, so I, it was my job to like keep track of things like that. It wasn't an overly large team, and I was generally there 
when the most people were there. Like I was always working on the weekends. And there would occasionally be, I, I monitored stock very closely like to the middle. Yeah. So I, I, if someone was pulling this, but someone could have definitely done that kind of thing. I think it would have been harder for them to hide the sales because we were all so close to each other. It's easier for people who are the manager to do it because no one's keeping tabs on them. Like I did the stock, so I did the ordering and the stock. I could have just slipped vodka in. But it would never be worth the amount of money that you could get out of it. Like if I was going to do something horrible, I would want $20 billion to give to the Sea Shepherd and associated environmentalist causes. And <laughs> you don't get the chance to steal $20 billion. I, I, I think that what I'm learning about you is that you have all the ideas and sometimes you scare me that you might actually know how to break like the law quite easily and effectively but you're just too nervous to do it <laughs> yeah i am well also they say a man's greatest fear is prison um i wouldn't ever intentionally do something that could land me in prison but i am probably more regulated by conscience than conscience is a more powerful regulator of my behavior than what people say the rules are yeah like i just wouldn't steal there's people who shoplift for fun, like for the adrenaline rush. That would be me shoplifting for an anxiety rush. And I don't need to shoplift for that. I get it for free. But I wouldn't <laughs> want more of it. Uh, like, I think it's fun to think about how you would hide a body because it's the most terrifying thing I could imagine having to do. In reality, I probably would be one of the people that just went to the police if I happened right, to so, end up uh, with a body. Just in the murderer. Moving on. <laughs> We, we have a friend who had to decide on the day we all met, well, within the first week we all met, who the most likely person to have murdered someone was, and our mutual friend picked me, and I'm still not happy about it. I am the, li well, sure, I'm in the bottom 50% people most likely to have murdered someone in that group, easily. Yeah, I'm but the they, least that, violent. Group, that group also selected me for the most likely person to be in a cult, so... <laughs> really? Yeah, I remember we were playing that game. I think it was before we even you emerged from your room, but... um. We were playing, like, most likely to, and that was what they picked. But I think it's just because I was well, quite quiet. <laughs> but also, like, just quietly, there's a few people in that floor that could be in a cult. Oh, yeah, I think... You're not one of them. It was definitely just a bad uh, first impression, but I think getting to know some of those people, who knows? Yeah, bad decisions were made in that game. It was after I came out of my room, because if they had said I was the most likely to have murdered someone because I hadn't left my room... I would have said fair enough. Yeah. But it wasn't because I was there. Right. <sighs> Let's do an object. <laughs> Let's do an object. Is your search engine ready? Oh, I forgot about that part. Uh... <laughs> I'm going to qualify this on a few levels. I'm going to be slightly liberal with the story. Not for dramatic effect, just because... There's some different accounts, and I like the more exciting ones. Secondly, we're going to get deep into some physics science that I doubt either of us can actually explain. Oh, God, right, okay. <laughs> just, just accept the terms and the use of the terms that I go with, and everyone will be okay. All right, well, my search engine is ready. It's ready now? Okay, you're looking yep. for the thing, but if you put Soviet after it, that will help. The thing Soviet? Yeah. The thing's okay. the object, but Soviet will just give enough context because it turns out the thing's a very broad search term. And while you do that, I've switched over from coffee to Pinot Noir in search of... 
I would say the spiritual guidance required to get through this episode late in my Wednesday. I, th- I think I'm looking at the right thing, but it looks weird. So maybe give us a visual description of just the round brown thing briefly, and then I'll run into the... We don't need to know too much about what it looks like from you because I'm going to cover it a little bit. What I'm looking at is basically a big red circle. And I can see that it's big because I can see someone's hand in it. So it's it's like a um, very large, but it looks American, which is why I'm confused as the Soviet because it looks like there's an eagle and maybe like a shield that has an American flag. But basically it looks like a big emblem or seal on just a big wooden square. It's like, it's a very hard thing to explain. No, perfect description. Okay, I'm going to paint you a little little visual sequence of events. Are you ready? I am ready. In August 1945, the equivalent of the Russian Boy Scouts wander up to the front door of the US ambassador in the Soviet Union. They knock on the door and they hand over a gesture of friendship to wartime allies. And what they give them is the thing that you've just described, which is the seal of the United States. They call it the Great Seal. I think yeah, I thought it was bad because that made it sound like a really cool seal in the ocean. Anyway, yeah. it's a round emblem. It's the the eagle emblem that you see on presidential things. Yes, that's, yeah, that's what it is. It's on a plaque. So some kids have gone up. They've given it to the American ambassador at the embassy, and he says, "Thank you very much. This is a gesture of friendship from our wartime allies." I'm going to hang this in the office of Spasso House, which is the official residence of the US ambassador in the Soviet Union at this time. Six on his wall in his office, happy days. No one really talks about it. Six years later, some British spies accidentally pick up some American voices while they're trying to intercept Soviet conversation. It's a bit weird. They tell the Americans. The Americans kind of get onto it. They start intercepting some radio waves close to the region that the Brits told them about. And they also realise they can hear American voices. So they bring in some agents and they do a full sweep of Spasso House. There's an account that the first sweep revealed nothing and they had no idea how they were picking up conversations that were happening inside the house. But at some point they bring in the big guns, a couple of agents come over, they do a comprehensive sweep and my favourite version of how this went down is there's a new ambassador coming in. The reason they're doing the really comprehensive sweep. Seven years after the seal was handed over, and a year after the Brits told them about hearing the American voices, uh, they want to make sure that the new ambassador is coming into a clean situation. So they get him to sit down and dictate to his secretary a very official, very important sounding message that's going to be corresponded to some Americans back in America. And they have their little receiver. And as he starts to read, they point it around the room. And they very quickly realise that there is a transmission of the conversation being generated from not only within the room, directly coming out of the great seal that he's got hanging in his office. Uh, We've got some spying on our hands. So (laughs) basically what happens is they open it up and they discover... The invention of a man called Leon Theremin, and he actually invented a musical instrument that goes by his own name, which people have probably seen. Yeah. Yeah, so you, you put your hands inside a somewhat a 90-degree angled instrument, and it plays music. 
um, and is ele- electrical. It's very sci-fi, isn't it? It's like, ooh. Yeah, it's very sci-fi. Um, it said that it was often used uh, initially in movies for suspenseful situations or kind of ethereal, otherworldly um, sounds. But that's what he's definitely most famous for. Yeah. But uh, he also invented this, and it's the reason it's very cool, I think, is it's passive. It doesn't have its own power source. So basically behind the round seal is a cavity, and within that cavity there's a membrane which is easily vibrated by voices in the room, and there's a little antenna. And the way that the Soviets made it work was they had a van parked outside which directed um, radio waves at the room and then what bounced back included the conversation. So it's basically activated passively and remote so there was no way to detect it really without them being listening. Oh wow. There's another story that suggests that they had a machine where they could also broadcast a transmission which would create feedback but I think that's a less romantic notion than the guy had to actually sit down and read out a message and they had to wait for the Soviets to turn it on. Um, I think that sounds much more exciting. <laughs> um, but that's that's a relatively sufficient introduction. The statements go a little bit more into the invention of it. Um, but if you think you're ready for those... Well, yeah, I like, I like it because it's, it's just a very sort of... It's got what... I love this period of history, the Cold War and all this stuff. But it's just great when you hear these stories of someone one-upping someone else and then <laughs> realising yeah. and going, oh, shit. <laughs> I was thinking about it on my way home from work. Like... It's very easy to think of this all as quite funny, like Soviet spies. And I know people died, but when you've got two powerhouses that have, at this point, they didn't both have nuclear weapons, but or just about by the time they figured it out, the Soviets either had or were about to have nuclear weapons. So the war was kind of a phony war, and or it was a war of disruption and chaos because at either point they had mutually assured destruction if uh, yeah, either one of correct. them pulled the trigger. Um, so this kind of stuff's kind of funny. Like, what what does it really matter? What they were listening into? <laughs> Fair point. It's just a just like, yeah, but also it's like there for six years as well. Yeah, it's the what. It doesn't matter what they figured out from the ambassador. It's more funny to me that they sat it on the wall of his office for seven years with two different yeah. ambassadors over that time. And uh, yeah, imagine realizing that every conversation you'd had in your office was known by the enemy. <laughs> I was surprised they actually had such open, um, open relationships to have ambassadors in each country. Like you're basically saying this is the room that you're spying out of. Best of luck. Well, I think once you know that that person's there, you can, like, keep extra tabs on them and all this, can't you? You think it's better to just have an ambassador? And I guess at that time, um, communications weren't as easy, so it probably was better to just have someone to talk to. Yeah. I don't think I'd want to be the ambassador in enemy territory. The first guy was fine. He was coming towards the end of World War II. They needed to have an ambassador. But by 52, I'm not sure you want to be an American ambassador um, <laughs> in a Soviet city. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a little bit dodgy. I wonder if he left his office much. That's true. You probably spent a disproportionately high amount of time there. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's do some statements. I'm excited. Let's do some statements. Okay. Yeah. Statement number one: um, Theremin actually tried to make the device ineffective without getting in trouble from the Soviets while he was inventing it. Statement ah, number okay. two: The American agent that discovered it was so worried that the Soviets would come in and take it before he could get it back to America that he took it to bed with him that night. <laughs> statement number three. America kept the discovery of it secret until they were caught spying themselves, at which point they told them that they had it. Those are the three statements, John. I like them. This is a good set of statements. So, I'll run through them in order. Okay. Why did he want to make it ineffective? Was he just, was he not a fan of the regime? So, I read 
multiple different sources. To say he wasn't a fan of the regime is a little bit bold, but he definitely lived in America from 1927 until 1938, primarily because of the invention of his instrument. He toured around, he played with, he played concerts with orchestras, um, did work on movies. So he spent a lot of time in America. 1938, he figures out that problems are arising. He, the Soviets also made him divorce his first wife. Oh. And she was a Soviet citizen. So he goes back to Russia and they imprison him. Well, he goes back to the Soviet Union. They imprison him straight away, um, send him through a few different prisons, camps, and then he ends up in one of their research labs. So he's a political prisoner because of his time in America. And they're like, you have to invent surveillance equipment. We know of your expertise because of this instrument you've invented. And I think he was kind of like these... You hear the guys in Germany working on trying to split the atom. Like, they were genuinely committed to the science. Yeah. Some of them chose not to think about the ramifications of it working. Some of them thought the pursuit of science was more important than it all. The story I kind of create around it is, like, he wanted to do it. He wanted to create a passive listening device, which hadn't yet existed at all, but didn't really want to be creating surveillance equipment for a war. So... Yeah. The idea was that it would work and he could demonstrate it and no one would kill him for deliberately failing, but that you wouldn't be able to precisely enough direct the right frequency in order to activate it from a van outside. So he's like, uh, like it'll work, sure, and they'll get some mumbling and feedback and maybe something other, something interesting will come out of it. But he, he wanted the idea to be sound without contributing to spying. And I think also if you're a famous inventor of a musical instrument, all of a sudden you're working on spy equipment. You're probably a little bit annoyed by that. So yeah, he, he didn't think they would be able to activate it and use it to the precision that they actually could in the end. So was it pretty precise then? Oh yeah, it worked. They actually, the British ended up making, they copied it and they made very similar ones. The technology moved on and I barely understood how this one worked, but the technology moved on the other passive options based on similar concepts worked where you bounce you shoot radio waves at something it bounces off the thing that comes back also includes whatever's happening in the room at that time as well um i think they probably were able to do it at greater distances than a van outside but it became quite important to the british the british and americans were collaborating a lot on this kind of stuff when the americans did the research on this one they had an mi6 person involved leading it normally when you hear of world war ii the British are kind of treated with a little bit of, not hostility from the Americans, but they kind of disregard them. Mm. It's just handy that there's an island on the on the shore of Europe um, to launch things from. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the British intelligence were really important um, with That's this. That's interesting. So yeah. It, it just sort of sounds plausible because the way you describe the invention itself kind of sounds like, yeah, it could work, but doesn't necessarily have to if it's just like, because you said it's, it just picks up vibrations. Yeah, it works in a lab. Like it works when the things at one end of the table or another, or shooting it across a room. And yeah. Proof of concept. So basically, the prison he ended up at when there was a heap of scientists, and they just worked on a bunch of stuff. From what I could tell, it didn't say anything else that the specific set of guys came up with. But I could pretty easily imagine they're just trying out a bunch of stuff, and some of it ends up working. I would like to know what I would like to know is how it got from his invention to the idea to put it behind a great seal of America and hand it to the ambassador himself. Maybe but it was, was one a... of the boy cat. Maybe it was one of the boy scouts. He was like, oh, this, this, this learner badge. This learn the boy me, scouts uh... are named after Lenin. Um, they've got a very long name. I didn't write it down, but yeah, they're like young Leninists. Um, yeah, one of them's like, I've got an idea. Let's um, let, let's put a spy device inside a gift and take it over. 
I'll get my national intelligence badge. I don't care who you are. If you were thinking up this idea, the percentage chance that it doesn't go on the wall of the office has to be higher than the chance that it does. They probably just had so many different angles of attack that it didn't really matter what, what worked. This was probably just the only one of this particular invention that they found. It's just so bold as well to just like hand it over to them and then they go, that's going to my office. Like, for, yeah. <laughs> for it to go so well. Yeah. <laughs> Like, it's almost like the, the ambassador was on was doing an inside job. That's how ridiculous I found this. But was it 1945, do you say? They gave it to him in August 45, yep. I suppose re- relations were pretty good still across USA and USSR, so maybe definitely. they were just generally like, yeah, we can believe it. Oh, Americans definitely won't believe it, but there's no disputing that the Russians had put a listening device inside it. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Just sort of like playing on their naivety. <laughs> yes, yeah, stupid Americans. We'll put their stupid eagle on their stupid board and we'll put it in their stupid office. I mean, you've made statement one sound very plausible because you just said basically he had a, he had a rough time of it. So Yeah, it's... it turns out the Soviets weren't that nice. And to be honest, there's not a lot about him ending up in prison. Like, doesn't even say exactly what for. I think it was just they put American they put people who'd been to American prison just in case. And it probably yeah, wasn't that I don't think I don't think they had many reasons to like No. And he did get, um, (laughs) he got rehabilitated when they started rehabilitating people later on and he was still alive when that happened. So he was fully cleared of any wrongdoing. And I should bloody hope so. He's a a theremin. Um, So I'm pretty happy with that one. I'll I'll take that one in the back of my mind. Um, I'm going to move on to statement three to mix it up. Good. I was just thinking statement, yep. When did they find the Americans were listening? Um, No... Well, when they found it, when they announced it, I don't know. But in 1960, at a UN meeting, the the Soviets are like, America's been spying on us. This is, you know, a gross overstepping of their position. They're not treating us in good faith. So we are going to withdraw ourselves from the international community and maybe potentially quietly increase our hostility. Yeah. So America's spy planes got caught, basically. So they, they've, like, rocked up at the at the UN table. These guys are spying on us. So America's like, I'm glad you brought that up. They've whipped out the Great <laughs> Seal, pulled the white cloth on it, and there's a photo you can see of the guy, like, pointing at it. So they're like, oh, here. What do you call this Look then, this. buddy? Let me open <laughs> this up. Do you think this cavity and this little antenna just happened to be in there? Let me point some, <laughs> let me point some uh, transmission at it. Oh, do you think it just happens to pick up on our conversation? This is yeah. a two-way street sunshine, and you know we're both playing on it. That's how I imagine so, it went down. But basically the point is know. that America's like purposefully hidden its existence until they got caught, and then they are like, crap, we better bring out that listening device we caught. Well, did they, did they keep... Do you know if they kept listening in up until that point? Because what if they're... Did they just assume their listening device was broken or something? Or I think I the, pr- you could the just... problem is they took it straight back to America because that's how I found out about the British guy being involved. Oh, I see. By them talking about the way they researched it and then replicated the technology, I realised that they took it to America straight away, which is obviously relevant to statement two. But so then I'm like, what did... It's not very long after they found it. No, it's a long time after. It's eight years after. Eight years after they found it that America announced to the world that they'd found out about it. But I suppose you don't want to... If they just keep hold of it, the Russians aren't going to go, well... What happened to us listening device? <laughs> They're not going to yeah. make that very public, are they? No, no. But the best thing would have been, obviously, 
to keep having conversations in the room that the Russians were listening to yeah. that they wanted them to hear. I guess the problem with that is you don't know what else they're listening to, so it's probably just a waste of effort. I reckon yeah. what would have happened anyway is your ambassador in Moscow all of a sudden stops having important conversations once you realise you're being spied on. Like, <laughs> yeah, just like... Just, just put a nice person door. over there. Put a nice person who enjoys dinner parties in Moscow and have all of the big boy conversations in a different city. <laughs> He's just like, I'm having a great time. They don't trust me with anything, but boy, do I get some good meals. <laughs> yeah, it's actually the best and job because like... you're, you're the least likely to have to do anything important. I also do know a little bit about, because the uh, I do remember when the spy planes got caught in 19... Was it 1960? It was, wasn't it? Because they uh, he crash landed, didn't he? And they had a, a a US spy. So I you've given me some backstory that I already know is true, which is handy. I think crash landing is something I'm saying with very big air quotes, which could also be yeah. I think he was shot, shot from down, the sky. Yeah. Um, but they they had like spy cameras on them that could read a newspaper from like tens of thousands of feet in the air, which I think is amazing. Are you sure? Yeah. We can't Positive. get a Google. We can't get a Google Maps image of Georgetown that doesn't have clouds over it. And you're telling me the Americans have been reading papers from 15,000 feet for 50 years? 60. But this is this is like military intelligence. Yeah, if I you, feel like that stuff up. should filter down. <laughs> you don't so. I think it was called Gary Powers as well, wasn't it? Which is an amazing name. Oh, I hope that was a code name. Gary Powers. Gary Powers. US spy. US fighter pilot and spy. I wonder how you would be treated as a US spy in 1960, crash landing in Moscow. Uh, not, not well. He not well. He was imprisoned for a while, wasn't he? And then they... Yeah. Well, this... You know the film Bridge of Spies? I uh, don't know if I do. Sounds like I should. Tom Hanks. The whole... The point of that film is that they are negotiating the trade of spies. And one of them is Gary Powers and the other one is a Russian spy. And they're getting them to swap. Okay. So there you go. You should watch that film. It's pretty good. Um, That's negotiating to swap after they've to- tried to torture secrets out of them. Or before. Oh, I'm going to probably say after. Probably after. Um, you just put, you're just sending them back. You don't have to send them back in the... Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in the perfect condition, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, um, yes, yes, the planes... I, I didn't know the specifics, but the planes crashing down was the thing I knew, I knew also. Which made me wonder why I didn't know about this thing. Because if there's one thing I enjoy, it's, it's spy stuff. And as we've established, you can get into the Soviet spy stuff because a lot fewer people died than getting into World War Two history, as far as I know. Bold claim. You don't. What's? Do we have an estimate on the death toll of the Cold War? I mean, I guess if you count the, all the other wars that were actually the Cold War. Yeah, because you could count Vietnam, Korea. Yeah, it goes up real all quick. All this stuff, Afghanistan. Um, well, Stalin killed like millions of millions of people. Yeah, but I don't think I'm that, including yeah. that in a war death toll. That's a that's a domestic atrocity. It's a it's a dark topic to get into anyway. No, nah, there's a quite a large six hundred and fifty to eight hundred and fifty thousand estimated US, United States military casualties. Or maybe that's all time. Turns out this isn't a simple question. Yeah, this is like what historians debate about. Oh, Cora someone on Cora said ten to twenty five million. They must be including a lot of stuff. Yeah, that'll be That's like as a result Stalin of film, Yeah. Anyway, yeah, let's include... move on to statement two. <laughs> Statement two. So basically, statement two, I have... Look, I've got about as much information as I've given you. Um, but anyway, the guy's found it. He's, he's in the office. They've got it. Opened it up. Fair idea. It's a listening device. His worry is the Soviets are going to come and snatch it. And yeah. then they, they won't have proof. So he's so scared, he just takes it into bed with him. Well, I think this is very similar to uh, 
another lie we've had in this show. Because when we did another pilot episode on the... Uh, what was it on? It was on the uh, World Cup trophy, if this ever gets released. One of the uh, statements was that it was hidden under the bed to keep it from the Nazis. So... <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. When you said this is similar to another lie, I'm like, another statement. Is it? Oh, but, well, actually, yeah, that, that one was true, wasn't it? But it's just, like, very conveniently similar. That one was that. That was the one I picked as the lie because I hadn't heard of it and I thought I knew the story well enough. Yes, that's oh, yeah, exactly what, that's exactly what this is. I like that. I'm now just going to look for objects where someone hid it in or under a bed. But now my and, question now it, it doesn't even matter what the story of this statement is. But now, like, I'm thinking, does he know that that was an original statement? Has he just made that lie? Is it like his subconscious has chosen that as a lie? So, I guess John, it depends how intelligent you think I am. Well, I don't know, you were talking about hiding bodies earlier. Um, <laughs> I don't think there's a link between intelligent people and hiding bodies. I think if you end up in a situation where you have to hide a body, you are <laughs> on some level an idiot or a sociopath. I did yeah, have a, fair, a terrible fear that I was a psychopath or a sociopath when I was a university student because I was like, how many people in the world don't know? But it turns out there are almost no psychopaths or sociopaths that rank highly for empathy. And if there's one burden I have in life, it's goddamn empathy. <laughs> That's a very intelligent uh, uh, counter-argument, so well done. I do to be honest, smart. there was an unfortunate housemate who had to listen to about two months of me figuring this out. Like, I used my university library access not to do research on the subjects I was studying, but to read papers on the actual estimated incidence of sociopathy in society and how people who would not know might get an idea. Yeah, <laughs> turns, out I'm, turns out I'm not. I'm fine. <laughs> I was worried I was going to be like a, a non-violent sociopath and I was just going to go around causing emotional damage to people. I probably have, but it's not through sociopathy and that's what counts. Perfect. <laughs> so what information do you have about this statement or is it very, very limited? Um, I, can't, I can't even pronounce the name really. Bayesian? Bayesian? There's two of them, two American agents. I reckon this guy was the <laughs> one in charge and like, I don't know what else really there could be. They know they're going to take it back to America. Because yeah. they do, because they've still got it, and they do. So we can presume that they've decided to take it back to America. So yeah, he takes it into takes it into bed successfully, um, and under this his, is a under his duvet report. or just under the bed, uh, under the pillow. Oh, very nice. Like that was what would make sense if you had a big flat plaque that you wanted to make sure no one took. I think it's ridiculous because if they wanted to take it from you, if they could get into the, wherever you are, they're gonna t- they're gonna kick you out of bed. Yeah. If the Soviets <laughs> are coming to get your tooth that you've left for the tooth fairy. They don't care whether you're putting it under the pillow or on the other side of the room. They're coming to get it. What would the what? Soviet tooth fairy give you for a listing device? Hmm. A Boy um, Scout badge. It's probably <laughs> easier because they only had one of everything. I'd take one of the standard issue bicycles. Oh, that's pretty good. I'd take that. I'd ask if they could get it in green, not red, but I reckon they'd say no. I went to a lovely museum in, I think it was Lithuania, where it had a bunch of stuff that kind of... It was a bunch of stuff that was around the time when America was making like 1400 versions of the television and talking about how great capitalism was and Russia was like making one good television and selling it to everyone. Yeah. Really, really cool museum. Oh, nice. Hmm. There was a bunch of like genuine stuff there, but there were there were not really red red ropes, um, referencing back to a former episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, they had like clothing and they had different clothing techniques that were figured out. Like those countries are really difficult to visit because you realise you know nothing about what Soviet oppression was like for them. Yeah. And 
oh, like it was so bleak for such a long time. Some of those countries generally were not genuinely were not liberated until the nineties. Um, and even then, the questions. And I feel like misery. Yeah, I feel like misery just seeps out of some of the walls that I walked around. They're quite well. They seem quite liberal and free places now. Very low spending power of local currency. But um, yeah, so this kind of stuff. This kind of stuff was all was all relevant in those. I can't remember the name of the museum, but I'm really just talking a lot of nonsense because I don't know anything about this statement. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I think I think I've made my mind up. If you if we you've made your mind up, you're just going to go a cold reveal and just say which one you're locking in, or have you got logic? <laughs> there is logic, have, but I'm it's happy very very basic logic. I, th- I would be disappointed th- if you didn't get this right. Just to be clear. Right. I think you always say this, and it's always a tactic to throw me off because it makes me immediately question everything. But, Why? Well, because it makes it seem like it's an easy choice when it's not an easy choice. And therefore, I'm just like, I'm clearly missing something there. I think that's more interesting. Like, do you, there are some episodes where it seems like an easy choice, and then the decision is whether you're being lulled into a false sense of security. Yeah. Or whether there are episodes where it's like, they, they could all be true and they could all be lies. It's almost like we don't really go based on the information. We just go on, like, if we think we're being no. tricked. Well, like, I realised in, in another episode, I, it, it was just hard for me to keep up with your statements writing, so I just I didn't quite write the third statement out correctly. And <laughs> that made it very hard to decide accurately whether I thought it was true <laughs> or not, because I didn't really know the statement. And, uh, yes, during editing, I'm right? like, mm, if you had to listen to what he said, you would have had a much better idea about this one. <laughs> right, I what's think your, What's that... your logic? I think that there's good history and it sounds very clear for statement one and three. I think you've backed those up very nicely. I think that it sounds all good. I mean... Oh, so you're doubting the one that has no history. (laughs) Well, yeah, and I'm also doubting that this bloke would have it in his bed with him when it's so... It's a massive thing, this thing. It looks huge. Oh, you mean you wouldn't have 12 guys with machine guns standing around it for the night? You would let this... uh highly important artifact just be guarded by one man in his bed whatever would give you such fear and i also think that maybe kind of subconsciously that first statement we used in one of the other pilot episodes might have seeped in because it as soon as he said it i was like world cup trophy <laughs> so yeah 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 i'm hearing you and i th- i think that <laughs> i think that it's the most obvious and therefore with Occam's razor, the simplest solution must be the correct one. So, I'm going to go for statement two. Okay. Locking it in? Locking it in. Well, I've just realised a big problem, which is, statement two is true. <laughs> I think. <laughs> At least, I read it on an article about this, which was quoting a book, but I didn't read the book. Great. Um, <laughs> but no, as far as I know, like the, the article that I found the object in states it, and it gives the guy's name, which is Bayesian. Bajian. Yeah. Uh, yeah, is no, put it up with That is statement one. He he actually voluntarily continued working for the Soviets even after they released him. Oh. Okay. And yeah. So the American stuff was 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 true. And they did make him divorce his wife, but he he bit more into it than expected. Yeah. He's a weird guy, so he, he moved to America dealing with his musical instrument, meets lots of nice people. While he was there, the US Bureau of Prisons um, commissioned him to build a metal detector for Alcatraz to increase security (laughs) so they could um, check the prisoners didn't have any stuff. So he's over in America. The Soviets are like, you have to divorce this Soviet woman. He's like, okay, cool, no worries. 
He then married an African-American ballerina who was working for a ballet company that he was producing music for. Then he was somewhat ostracized because of that decision. Marries her, but obviously they can't stay married when he goes back to Russia. So they get divorced and then he ends up marrying another Soviet slash Russian woman after the imprisonment. Um, But he continued working for them for ages. He eventually went back to America and did some other music stuff, worked on some movies, and died in the 90s. Sounds like he had a pretty interesting life to me. Yeah. But yeah, did not, <laughs> did, not try to, did not try to sabotage the equipment. Interesting. Well, there you go. Lunson there, there. But I'm now fuming, I'm like, but... how... Because the problem is the article that I got that statement from is also the article that talked about sitting down at the desk, reading the thing until they picked up... Uh, what I reckon actually happened was they did sit down at the desk and read the script out. And that's how they created the normal vo- vocal level. And then they had testing equipment inside the room to look for it. The Wikipedia mm. didn't talk about the under the pillow, but the Wikipedia also didn't talk about flying it back to America. They just yeah. said that they just said that they unveiled it at the UN. And I don't think they the pictures that show them unveiling it at the UN in such a dramatic way and pointing to it while all the biggest countries in the world are having their round table gives some credibility back to the first article. I would say. Yeah. What I, th- I don't think we've touched on is that it's just called The Thing. Yeah, it became known as The Thing. That's pretty funny. Uh, yeah, that wasn't covered either, actually. <laughs> I think some for a while it was it had a name that was with The Great, the great Seal. Great so the seal. direct quote from a Mental Floss article, which gives a reference for another... Yeah, I'm pretty confident. So the direct quote is that, That night... Bajian slept with a device under his pillow so that it couldn't be stolen back by the Soviets. It was shipped to Washington, D.C. the next day to be studied. Kenman, who was the ambassador during this time, published Mm. in his memoirs the story of this, and he wrote chillingly about the moment he realised the Soviets had microphoned his private study. Uh, It is difficult to make plausible the weirdness of the atmosphere in that room while this strange scene was in progress. (laughs) So he's quoted definitely with being in the room when they found it. Yeah, well, that's a great object and great deception, once again. Oh, you you were unlucky. I didn't, I didn't straight up intentionally say like call it a lie, but I knew as it was coming out of my mouth that what I had just done there was pretty useful. Yeah, like I subconsciously called a lie, called something a lie that was a truth, even though the thing that we were talking about, the under the bed World Cup, wasn't a lie either. Yeah, no, maybe if neither it's of under them the were bed, lies. It's true. People yeah. hiding things in beds is just true from now on. <laughs> I don't know how far this podcast could go on that, but I'll keep looking. Well, excellent. Well done. Um, yeah, I don't feel like we need an outro. Thank you.